So having worshipped, now we get into the Word. And I do have a portion of Colossians 3 I want to go through. It's the first half of that chapter. If you remember, and you'd have to have a pretty good memory to remember this, so I don't, I don't, I don't hold you to it, but let me just remind you, Colossians is the most Christocentric book in the Bible. Christocentric meaning Christ is at the center. It's the, the most centered book in the Bible on Christ. Now, they're all about Christ, but Colossians is the most Christocentric of them all. Colossians is four chapters long. Chapters 1 and 2 is all about what God did for us through Christ. And chapters 3 and 4 are all about because of what Christ did, what is our response? So we begin today with looking at what our response is because of what Christ has done. So let, let me just jump right into Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is the verse that prompted my series on heaven. I was going through the book of Colossians, and this verse just struck me. Set your heart, set your mind. This is what that means. To set our heart means to crave heaven's things and eternal things. That we choose to crave things there, not things here. To set our mind means to focus our desires and intentions on things above. So what Paul's saying here is change your cravings and change your desires. Not for this stuff, but for that stuff. It's interesting to me that the first instructions that Paul gives to us, after laying out what God did through Christ, he then says, because of what Christ did, because of what Jesus did on the cross, now here's your response. The first thing that Paul says is our response is not about behavior. He doesn't say, stop doing anything. He doesn't say, start do acting this way. It's not about behavior. This is so significant because where most people start in trying to be right with God is about behavior, right? Yes. And that's why we fail and that's why religion is so dry. His first instructions are about cravings and thinkings, not about doings. And so I was sitting in my office few days back thinking how do i how do i understand this myself how do i put this in a way my church will understand it? and this is what it came up with cravings and thinkings determine behavings and doings that is true it's not true grammatically or for my english teacher wife but it's true statement cravings and thinkings determine behavings and doings we have to understand this we can't start with the doing if we haven't addressed the interior stuff. To set our mind and set our heart is a willful, determined choice of what I will crave and what I will desire. It's a willful, determined choice. I am not a victim nor an animal to my desires and cravings. Those are choices 
And Paul says you have to learn to choose to set a willful, determined choice on what you will crave and desire. This implies that when I start craving and desiring things not of the kingdom, I'm to stop and choose and reset my mind and my heart before I ever choose to try to change behavior. See, Christ followers are never to withdraw from culture. Christ followers are to live differently in culture. And when we choose to reset what we, our heart and mind, our body will follow. Yeah. Coach Nolte says it like this. I, I asked him when I was coaching in the, in the, in the youth program. I, 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 had, I had Coach Nolte, our, our head varsity coach, come and talk to my team. Going in the playoffs, I said, Coach, what, what would you tell the kids? This is what he told them. I've always remembered it. He told the boys this. He said, listen, on the football field, lead with your heart and your body will follow. Lead with your heart. Your body will follow. You can't make your body do something your heart doesn't want to do. But if your heart wants to do it, your body's going to. You understand? See, the problem is most instructions start with the doings. And the behavior, it's behavioral modification. That's why it doesn't work. So Paul says, first, set your heart and mind. The internal things, the cravings and thinkings. Then you'll be able to address the doing things, the external behaviors. So, so here's how this looks. Let me just paint you a, a picture. The, the, the idea behind it is that there's deeper things. And we settle for the shallow things. There's deeper things and we, sh- so we settle for the, for the shadows. Imagine, if you will, husband, wife, wife goes away on some engagement, work, something. She comes home. The husband knows about what time she's coming home. He's watching the clock. He's anxious for her to get back. He hears her drive into the driveway and he runs out of the house to greet her. She gets out of the vehicle and walks toward him and he falls on the ground trying to embrace and kiss her shadow. Would that make any sense? Why? If you don't know why, we got a problem. Because he's missing the real thing. His mind and heart is craving the shadow rather than the reality. So God uses some things to draw our hearts to the reality and get away from the shadows. And I've talked about this before. These four things that God uses to draw our hearts and our minds to things above. Pleasures, treasures, troubles, and transitions. Every pleasure on earth is a shadow of a greater pleasure that's eternal. The Bible says that God provides everything for our enjoyment, pleasures. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. These pleasures we experience on earth are intended to say, man, if this is this good here, I cannot wait. It's going to be so good there. God gives us treasures with the intent to draw our hearts heavenward. Why? Because of what the Bible says. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So he gives us treasures to invest in kingdom. So our hearts will be in kingdom, not on the shadows. You follow? God gives us troubles to draw our hearts to heaven. 
Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. It's all right. I've overcome it. And one day you're going to be with me. Your trouble lasts for a moment. There's sorrow at night, joy in the morning. Dancing comes. So let your troubles draw your heart to me. And God allows transitions of his people from this world to that world. And when our loved ones make that transition from this reality to the heaven reality, part of our heart goes with them, right? Right? And there's a little part of us that says, I'm going to enjoy the pleasures and treasures of this world still because God's given them to me, but I cannot wait to get there also. Which is better, to stay or to go? I don't know. See, most people get it backwards. Most people, when they experience pleasures, it makes them desire more earthly pleasures and they keep hugging shadows on the ground. Most people get it backwards. They're given treasures on earth and it makes us forget we need God. Because look at all the shadows we have. Most people get it backwards. Troubles in life make us question God. Because look how scary that shadow is. Most people get it backwards. Transitions through death make us doubt God. Because if the shadow is that scary, where is God? The Bible says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. So Colossians 3 begins out of response to all God has done for us and given us Christ. We're to set our heart and our mind on him. Heavenward. Let, in, you have pleasures in this world, enjoy them, but let them draw your attention to heaven. Invest your treasures in heaven and attach your heart there, not here. Allow troubles to make you desire that place where there are no troubles. And allow transitions of loved ones to draw your heart to heaven. This is such a powerful witness to people in our huddle. When they see us invest in kingdom things, not in toys, in God's work, not just collecting toys and going deeper in debt. When they see us being generous and giving, not hugging shadows on the concrete. When they see us go through troubles with faith and with grace. When they witness us experience peace and even joy in the midst of loss and grief. Rarely is there a better witness to our huddle than that. So because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross... And because now our hearts and minds are set on heaven's things. Paul goes on and says this. So put to death, therefore. Now he's talking about the behavioral things. Once the internal stuff, once the reality, once the important. Your heart and your mind are set on heaven. Now, here's what you do. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the shadow Sexual immorality, he gives a list here. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He says there are some things you should put to death in life. And when he says put to death these things, he means don't even flirt with them anymore. Nobody wants to flirt with a dead body unless you're really, really sick. Now, none of you are that sick. So he's saying don't even flirt with this stuff. 
Don't play with it. Sexual immorality. Sexual things outside the biblical standard of marriage. That's sexual immorality. Impurity. Anything morally impure. Lust. The desire of something that isn't legitimately yours. You, we can lust after a lot of stuff. Anything that is that this, this, this desire for what is not legitimately mine, that's lust. Evil desires, desiring whatever is forbidden. If something's forbidden for you and that desire just keeps it, that's an evil desire. Greed, the unrestrained desire for more. Some people just want more. But look at all you got. Yeah, but I want more. How much is enough money? Well, a little bit more. That's greed. And Paul says those things should be, because of what God has done through Christ on the cross, and because now my heart and my mind are set on heaven's things, these things I must choose to put to death. They won't die on the, these things are not going to commit suicide. They've got to be killed. That's what Paul says. Look, look, look what he says. In these things you too once walked when you were living in them. He said, some of y'all didn't flirt with this stuff and didn't play with it. Some of the, some, this used to be some of your way of life. Some of you lived in the world of greed. And your whole life was about getting more and more and more. Some of you lived in the world of sexual immorality. And everything about you was outside the bonds of. So some of you, some of us, we lived in this. And he says, in light of what Jesus has done, put that stuff to death. But you don't start without it. You start with the cravings first. Change that. Then you can change this. You know that make sense? Yes. You follow me? Yes. All right. So Paul goes further into some things that maybe are a little more subtle, maybe a little bit more acceptable, maybe a little bit more like unidentified, maybe a little more justified. But when you understand what he's saying, boy, it's, he goes on. But now you must also. So, so now in light of what God has done through Christ on the cross, and because now you have set your heart and desires on heaven's things, you have put to death some stuff. You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Now watch this list. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now, you know what anger is? When Paul used it here, you know what anger is? Mad? Oh, let me tell you. It's a slow burn of embers that you keep warm in your heart. That's anger. It's that slow burn. You still remember what they said, and it still causes. You remember. It 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 it's, it doesn't live on the surface, and you can hide it really really well. But there's embers burning inside, and all it takes. Someone mentions the name, the incident. You got those quiet nights when you're all by yourself. And it's that slow, that's anger. 
And he says, rage. Rage is the short fuse. Rage is the explosion. R r rage is the, the excuse. I just got a short temper. That's just, 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 you know, that's just who I am. No, that's rage. Put to death that thing also. You know what malice is? Taking joy in others' misfortunes. That's kind of fun sometimes, though, right? I mean, don't we? Sometimes, you know, you're not really all broken up when things don't go that great for somebody. You ever have those people in your life? Yeah. <laughs> no, not me. Heavens, no. He lists slander. Get rid of this slander. You know what slander is? Lowering the reputation of somebody. But we got to be real. I got to be real careful about this. We got to be real careful about this. It's so easy to lower the reputation of somebody. All you got to do is tell the truth about them. <laughs> but you go back and read Genesis when, when, when God was talking to Moses and about what was going to happen to Sarah, and God didn't even tell the whole truth because it would have lowered his reputation in front of his wife. So we got to be real careful. Filthy language. You want an example of that? Well, I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> you know what that is. But, what, but then he says, he says, get rid of this. But then he asks this thing, don't lie. And we think we know what lying is. We say lying is, 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 lying is telling a lie. You can't explain something by using something. It using itself. So what is lying? Lying is uh, bearing false witness. Do not lie. Bearing false witness. That's what that means. Paul says, throw away these things, and amongst them, lying. Don't bear false. Now, bearing false witness is not about a courtroom. He says, throw away these things like lying. Here's, here, here's the definition of a lie, according to the Bible. Here's the definition of false witness. It's, oh, I keep doing that. It's giving the right information, but the wrong implication. It's telling the truth, but putting a spin on it. The right information with the wrong implication, according to the Bible, is a lie. And we have proof of it in Matthew 26, verses 60 through 61. Jesus said the words, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. That's what he said. He was referring to his body. Destroy this body, this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. He rose from the grave in three days. That's what he said. But when they were trying to trump up these charges against him and, and charge him with ill-doing and insurrection, they hired these people to make the charge against him. He said, destroy this temple and he'll rebuild it in three days. Claiming he was saying it against the temple building. And that was one of the most egregious things one could say. Is that what Jesus said? Yes. yes. Was that what he implied? No. Was it the truth? Yes. But it was a lie. How can it be both a truth and a lie? Because it was the right information with the wrong implication. Do you understand? So we have to be very careful. The right information with the wrong implication. When we tell stories to make others appear worse, or to make ourselves appear better. It's a lie. We call it exaggeration. Either exaggerating others' faults or exaggerating our own success. It's a lie. 
When we relay information but add our own inflection and bias to the information we're relaying, you follow? The right information. But when I add my bias, when I add my inflection for my agenda, that's what a lie is. See, when Paul starts this list, this word gets like, wow. I know for me, it makes me think, I, I think I got some work to do. And I need to make sure that I'm craving heaven. Because here's the thing. Remember this. This is free. When my heart and mind are set there, when my cravings and desires are there, I got nothing to prove and no one to impress. Just think about how that would be to live as if you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Complete freedom. So why would I have to add any bias to anything? I got nothing to prove. Why do I have to spin anything? I got no one to impress. So in light of all of this, what Jesus has done for us, set our hearts and minds on heaven and kingdom things, put to death impurities, Throw out the things that make for bad relationships. And then the positive instruction, because our hearts and minds are set on Christ. Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He says to clothe yourselves in these things. That means literally to sink into these things. Just sink into them and let them envelop you. Let these things surround you and be covered in these qualities. What qualities? Well, he starts with compassion. You know, compassion, compassion is love you can see. So let love you can see envelop you. You know what kindness is? Kindness is not responding in like manner when you've been hurt and offended. You know how many, how many times we've ruined relationships? Well, you know what they did. You know I responded like that because... And Paul says, let kindness envelop you. Allow yourself to be offended. Yeah. You're all right. You got nothing to prove and no one to impress. Humility. Humility is not seeking our own self-promotion. <laughs> it's the opposite of most social media. <laughs> Like, just don't seek your own self-promotion. Like, you know, the, the part of the Bible says when, when you go into a, a room, sit at the lowest, the worst place to sit and let the one who's throwing it elevate you. God says, humble yourself, I'll lift you up. Don't promote yourself. Gentleness is power under control. When someone who is powerful does not take advantage of those who are weak. Power under control. And patience. Willingness to submit to and wait on God's timing. Is it like, like, like sink into those things? Yeah. We, we, we can't do these if our hearts and minds are not set on heaven because they're going to be set on shadows. Yeah. Yeah. This is good instruction from Paul. It's like he knew what he's talking about. <laughs> but, look, but look, this is crazy here. Bear with each other. You know what that means? That means to tolerate or endure each other. We, we, we've all had... Had to tolerate someone in life, right? Yeah. I, I tell you what, I am so impressed with the people who have tolerated me in my life. 
Not truly. I'm, I'm not, oftentimes, I'm not an easy man to tolerate. But that's what this says. Endure them. And, and he, says, he says, forgive whatever grievance you have against another. Whatever. You got something against, uh, uh, against somebody, some grievance against them. The Bible doesn't necessarily say you've got to tell them how you feel. The Bible says you've got to forgive them. That, that's the choice I make. It's not a choice you elicit. And to forgive means to graciously restore. Now, when, when, when the Bible talks about forgiving them and graciously restoring, it doesn't mean make them feel better about themselves or what they did regardless of what it was. That's not what it means. It means not holding them nor yourself captive because of what they did. This is the antidote to anger, which is the slow burn of coals. Here's how we like to say it. Forgiveness doesn't erase the past, it just enlarges the future. And, and some of you have, have not worked, your, your, your minds and hearts are not set on heaven, they are set on all the shadows. And so it's hard for you to even get to the place of forgiveness. And because of that, you're so tied to the hurt of the past that your future is very, very small. So Paul says forgive. But then it gets real difficult, and I'll close with this. He gives us an example. For all these other characteristics, he's, there's no example given. He doesn't say clothe yourselves with compassion, just like there's no example. Clothe yourselves with kindness, just as there's no example. Clothe yourselves with patience, just as there's no example. Until he gets to forgiveness, because he knew that we'd have to have an example. And he knew the supreme example. And so here's the example. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Woo! That's our example. That's the standard. So, here we go. To accept forgiveness of our sin from God while harboring ill will towards another who has sinned against us sets us on higher ground than Christ. Understand that. For me to accept forgiveness from God over my sin and still harbor the ember of ill will towards another who sinned against me puts me at a higher elevation than Christ himself. There was one who wanted to be higher than Christ and it didn't go too well for him. His name was Lucifer. God will not share his position with anyone. So don't put yourself ahead of Christ. As he forgave, graciously restore. So in light of all Jesus has done, in light of all he's done, we draw our hearts and our minds to heaven. We kill some things in our lives. We, we take out the trash in other areas of our lives. We throw things away. We sink into some attributes. And over all of it, we put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Over all these things goes the covering of love. Love is not one more additional thing that we simply add to the list, kind of check off. It's the thing that holds them all together and binds them all together. Otherwise, all these instructions just become a religious checklist. And we start looking down our noses on those who aren't doing it right, and we elevate those who are. 
It's the covering of love that's the lifeblood of all these virtues listed that's modeled to us by God in giving His Son. See, the fact is that I have offended God, and the fact is that you have offended God. But by love, God graciously restores. Does God hold a slow burn of anger against us? Yes. No. No, 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 no. Hey, I've got TBI. Now, you just like to say yes to what I say, Sean. I appreciate that. That's why I like it in my church. Amen. Yes. Raiders are going to win the Super Bowl. Yes. No, he doesn't hold a slow burn against us. Why? Because he's graciously restored us. I've offended God and you've offended God. But does God fly off in a rage against us? No. Because by love, he's graciously restored us. I've offended God and you've offended God. But does God take joy in our misfortune? No. Why? Because by love, he's graciously restored us. So Paul says, over all these things, put on love. If you've been graciously restored, in kind, graciously restore. Right? Right. Is this enough for us to focus on this week? Here's my challenge. Read Colossians 3 this week. The first three days, read Colossians 3, the first half of it, and look through this and contemplate it and let it ruminate and bubble up inside and worship God in it. In the last four days of this week, read the second half of Colossians 3 because we'll be there next week and let it bubble up inside. Pray with me, Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you that you are the God who graciously restores those who come to you. Father, we come to you today and ask for your gracious restoration through forgiveness because of your love. Speak to us right now, Holy Spirit. I'd encourage you right now, wherever you are in this place, in your own mind, to do your own assessment is my heart and mind set on things above or on the shadows. Ask God to reveal to you, Father, what do I need to kill off in my life? Father, what do I need to throw away? Father, what do I need to sink into? Father, who and what do I need to forgive? Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd speak to each of us what is pertinent to us about your word, that we would choose to set our hearts and minds on things above, that we would choose to murder those things that need to be killed, that we would choose to take out the trash that needs to be taken out in our lives that we would choose to sink into that to which you've called us. Father, I pray over us that we would center ourselves, that this would be about us and not our neighbor, that we would do work with you, 
internally before trying to do it externally. God, we love you because you first loved us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.